that sometimes in conversation, we will tell a story and we're just, we're just talking. We're just kind of telling a story to tell a story. But sometimes we tell a story to make a point. We tell a story to hopefully generate more understanding on the part of our listener, of our friend, or whoever the audience might be. But sometimes when we're the ones listening, sometimes we can absolutely miss the point of a story. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine, I will listen, fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on Sometimes you can just miss the point. This was something that happened over and over again, repeatedly throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. As Jesus would teach, he would be trying to teach eternal realities and truths in a temporal context, and he would use everyday symbols to communicate eternal significance, and so many times his audience would miss the point. They, they would miss what he was trying to get across. They would miss the point and the significance of what he was trying to convey and communicate about who he is and what God wants to accomplish in their lives in Christ. This was something that happened over and over and over again. And maybe nowhere does it happen any more frequently than in one of his most famous parables, the parable of the prodigal son. You, you, most of us know just the, the term, the prodigal son. That's that's typically referred to a wild child who kind of runs off and starts to sow their oats and chase this and chase that and do you know a lot of things that we don't want to talk about in church. But the point of the parable of the prodigal was not the prodigal. The point of the parable of the prodigal was the patriarch. The point of the parable is the patriarch, the good, good father, the good and wise, the the kind and strong father who created, who, who made a home. It wasn't the son who left home. It wasn't even the older brother who stayed home. It is about the father who made home. And, and that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. It, it's this, 
this notion that the father loved both of his sons equally and that in that love, both of his sons were equally lost. The younger son obviously was lost in his defiance. The older son was lost in his apparent compliance. He was apparently doing all the right things, keeping all the rules and the regulations. But as we saw last week, he was doing this only because of what he thought it would garner himself. He was keeping all of the rules only because of what he thought it would mean to his own benefit. And Jesus is trying to convey in this story in Luke chapter 15 the reality that, that ultimately the father is only concerned with his children being home. His children being home. We've said throughout this series that home, in a spiritual sense, home just means the place where you belong and become your true self. The place where you belong and become your true self. Remember, we've said that our true self, is, it's not what I say or what you say. It's not how we identify. Our true self is what God says about us. It's who he has created us to be and what he says about who we are in his love, in relationship with him. That is our truest self. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is driving this point home. The prodigal son is the last in a triad of stories that he tells, again, to explain the character and the heart of the father. He starts in Luke 15, verse 11, and he starts by telling the fact that the father had two sons, an older and a younger. But then look at Luke 15, 12. Even in the very beginning here, Jesus says something that is so profound about the heart of the Father that it is almost hidden in the text, but it is so, so important. Look at what he says in Luke 15, 12. Now the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, Jesus' audience in that day and age would have been no doubt shocked and, and honestly disgusted by the disrespect, by the disdain that this younger son shows for his father by going to him and, and demanding his inheritance now. And I think you, you can understand how that might be. I know for myself, if Emily or Joseph came to me right now and said, hey, you know, whatever's coming to me, when you finally get out of the way, I want it now. My, I got to tell you, my response would be like, oh, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, we, we ain't going to play that. But that's not what the father did here. You see, leaving home is something that grieves the father. Leaving home grieves the father and he allows it. Now think about that for a second. This is so important. The fact that the younger son wanted to leave home deeply grieved this father who loved him unconditionally. We know that because of the way he responded when the son returned home. He was grieved and yet he allowed it. 
That tells you something so important about the character of God, the heavenly father that Jesus is using this earthly father to represent here. You see, the father, the father is much, much more concerned. He's more interested in authentic connection than authoritarian compliance. So I want you to make sure you understand that. God is not interested in authoritarian compliance and just follow all the rules so that you get into heaven and your pluses outweigh your minuses. You're a good guy better than, worse, more than you're a bad guy or a good girl more than you're a bad girl. No. He's not interested in that authoritarian compliance. He wants authentic connection. The father here is interested in the son's heart, not just his habits. He, he wants the son to willingly commit. And, and if he won't, the father is not, is not going to demand connection. You see, God is ultimately interested in a love relationship with you, with you by name, with me by name, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that includes you, that he gave his only son. You see, it's, it is a love relationship. It's an authentic connection and connectivity that God is interested in. And Jesus lays that out here, but you could kind of skate by it because, you know, the, the story and the details about the younger son when he took the inheritance and he went to the distant land and he squandered it in wild living. That's so, that's so salacious. That's so, you know, modern day Vegas that we, we like to kind of focus on that. And then he came home and everything was cool. But the father, the father loves you so much. He loves you so much. He wants authentic connection with us so badly that he has given us the right to reject him. Is that amazing? That's how much God loves you. He's given you the right to absolutely refuse and reject his love, his grace, his truth. You, you can absolutely say deuces and give God the Heisman and walk away. That is absolutely within your prerogative. It's within my prerogative. Because it has to be. If this is to be a love relationship, it has to be a choice. Free will is a choice. This is why good theology really matters. Theology is just our concept of God, our knowledge, our understanding of God. Theo, God. Logos, word, understanding, knowledge. Knowledge of God. And it is because of this free will that we live in a broken and a fallen world, that we come into this world ourselves fallen and broken. It's just part of it. One of our bonus girls, Sylvie, had a car accident recently. She's fine, totally fine. Nobody was injured or hurt in the telling of this illustration. But she was driving down Fifth Street in downtown Austin, minding her own business, going to the UPS store. I'm sure listening to worship music. And as she's driving down the road, she's in the left-hand lane on a one-way street when all of a sudden, a guy immediately adjacent to her decides he wants to turn down that side street 
and he just hooks it right into her. Boom! Front right panel crunched. Headlights broken. Bumper off kilter. It's a bad deal. Now, again, everybody was fine. They waited for the police to come. They, they called insurance. The, the guy, here's the thing. The guy that, met, that caused this accident, to his credit, he stuck around, even though he didn't have insurance. But he stuck around, and he was there to correct the mistake that he had made. Now, normally, as we drive, we have rules of the road. And as long as everybody follows the rules of the road, everything's cool, everything's fine. But if somebody decides, you know what, I want to turn there now, that can create a problem. It's anarchy. We all have the choice to create anarchy, to leave home and walk away from a relationship with God. That's how much he loves you. That's how much it matters to him that it's not coerced. It's not forced on you. The Bible says in 2 Peter, God is slow and patient, wanting everyone to come to repentance. That's the heart of God. That's why Jesus is telling this story. He said, listen, you, you can leave home, or, or maybe you can be like the older brother and, and stay home and appear to do all the right things, but they're really done for the wrong reasons. The Father invites you home. He will absolutely allow you to leave home and grieve his heart. And that, of course, is what the younger son did. We know from the rest of the story that he traveled to the distant land, squandered his inheritance in wild living, the Bible says. It's funny that the older brother later on goes into detail with the father and says, by the way, you know the son that you're welcoming back home and everything? He was chasing prostitutes. It's the only time that detail comes out is when the older brother is talking. I just thought that was interesting. Brotherly love. But while he was in the distant land, the young son, Jesus said, came to his senses. He looked around and he realized that even his father's hired staff back home had it better than he did. And look at how Jesus continues the story. Luke 15, verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Listen, homecoming thrills the father. Homecoming thrills the heart of God. This is who God, you want to you please God? Turn for home. The son, the younger son came to himself and, and decided to go home. He, the, Jesus said he, he even came up with this speech. He was going to give his father this speech that I don't deserve to be your son. If you'll just hire me, I'll come in and work for you. And Jesus said, before he even got to the front gate, his dad saw him coming from a long way off. Now, God grieves when we leave home, when we walk away from him. But he allows it. But he is thrilled 
to see us turn for home. It's interesting that the father saw the younger brother from a long way off. We know we don't know. And, and you, you can sometimes read too much into a parable, into a made-up story that Jesus uses to convey not made-up actual truth and reality. But it, it kind of makes me think that he was looking every day down that road to see if his boy was coming home. While he was still a long way off, he saw, he saw his boy. And it's interesting that Jesus says he ran to him. Because in this culture, for a man of that kind of wealth, that kind of status, he would never run anywhere. He, he hired people to run for him. But in this instance, he picked up the hem of his robe and he took off running for his boy. I don't remember where I heard it, but years ago, I just heard the phrase and it's always stuck with me. Coattails flying. Coattails flying. I think that's how God views it when we turn for home. I think he is so eager to receive us God, the heavenly father, takes off running, coattails flying to embrace us, to give us a holy kiss and to say, welcome home. Because it thrills the heart of the father when a son comes home. It thrills him. It thrills him. And it kind of makes me think that if it thrills God like that, it ought to thrill us too. It ought to thrill us. Julie and I were recently hanging out with some friends of ours, and they had a friend who had just gone to the Congo and gone on one of these eco-adventure tours. And part of what they did on this eco-adventure tour, this friend of our friend, was they went into the, the bush of the Congo and went into a community of gorillas. And there they hung out with the gorillas for about an hour. And the guides had told them, when you get there, do not look in their eyes. Because a gorilla takes that as an act of aggression, a look of aggression. And they will, they will let you know who's in charge. Typically just by ripping your face off. Literally. I'm not making, that's not like an expression. They will rip your face off. And my friend who was telling us this story said, man, I want to do that. And his wife looked at him and said, no, no, no. You can get in a cage with great white sharks. You can parachute, but you are not going to go hang out with gorillas in the mist. You ain't Jane Goodall. But it's that, it's that sense of adventure. It's that, it's that, that adrenaline rush. I want you to think about something. What if next weekend, when you invite somebody to come to church with you, what if next weekend you're sitting next to them when they accept Christ? What would that do to your spiritual adrenaline? If you knew that you had a hand in somebody's eternity being changed by God, no danger of having your face ripped off. Just... Just pure, 
unadulterated adrenaline spiritually because you reached out to somebody. Homecoming thrills the heart of the father. Homecoming thrills the heart of a follower of Christ. It's what we're invited into collaborating with him all about. The son started to go into his speech. Father, I don't deserve to be called a son. If you'll just, and his father interrupted him. Look at Luke 15, 22. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, which by the way, would have been his. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. So the party began. But I want you to notice something. Homecoming costs the father. Homecoming costs the father. Remember, this son has already squandered his share of the estate. Now he's coming back and the father is reinstating him as a son. And so he's going to get another share of the inheritance, which has already been decreased by what he wasted in the distant land. And the father says, get the finest cloak in the house. Get, get the Armani. Go get the Armani and bring it to him. The sandals. Put them on his feet. Get, get the ring that I use to dip wax in on my stationery when I send out letters. I want everybody to remember, this is my boy. He's not hired help. He's part of the family. And we're going to have a feast. And it cost. I think it's interesting that the father says, get the finest robe and put it on him. And that Paul tells us in the New Testament, when we follow Christ, that we are to clothe ourselves in Christ. That, that, that we're to walk around representing the character and the nature and the heart of Jesus himself in everything that we say, everything that we do. We take every thought captive to Christ to make it obedient to him, we put on God's best to follow Christ. And it cost him. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. And Jesus went to the cross. Ultimately, Jesus went to the cross where he became your sin and my sin. And as a result of that, as a consequence of my sin, your sin, he died. He died alienated and alone, separated from the Father. It's why Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment when the Son became my sin, the Father who remained holy and blameless and sinless could have nothing to do with the son. And so he died. He died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, 
But then he did what we couldn't have done. He got up out of the grave. He got up and he rose from the dead, physically and literally, with the promise of new life for anyone who would follow him. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. Homecoming costs. It's expensive to bring somebody back into the family, to celebrate them coming. And that was part of the older brother's problem. But even with the older brother, you see the heart of the father. Luke 15, verse 28. In verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Isn't that amazing? Here's this father again, forfeiting his dignity, forfeiting his status, and he comes out to the older brother to beg him to come into the party. Older brother's out there. Stupid party. Stupid little brother coming back home. I got to tell you, I'm not sure that I would have responded like this father did. I would have been like, fine, if he's going to pout, let him stay out there. We're going to have a party. He's going to have a pouty. That's his deal. (laughs) But the father went out and begged him. Look at what he says. His father said to him, this is verse 31, look, my dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he is found. You see, again, homecoming reveals the father's heart. It it tells you who the father is. It reveals his heart not only for the son who was lost and is now found, but the son who was lost in his compliance. The son who kept all of the rules and regulations and was the golden child according to everybody who looked in on the surface. But here you see where his heart actually was. But you also see the father's heart. He says, man, I'm I'm begging you, please come in. Let's be a family again. My boy, your brother, he's home, we're home. Everything I've ever had has always been yours. Now, we could very, very easily wrap up this sermon, send you on your way, get you to lunch, and you you could walk out of here and you go, man, homecoming, that grieves the father, but he allows it. And, And you know what? I also know that homecoming thrills the father. I mean, I'm sorry, leaving home grieves the father. Leaving home grieves the father, but homecoming, and that thrills the father. Homecoming, I remember too, it costs the father. Homecoming also reveals the father's heart. But my guess is for most of you, and hopefully all of you, by the time you got to your car in the parking lot, you would be asking yourself this question. So what? I mean, what do I do 
It's great that I know these things about God and about his heart, but, but what do I do? And I think, I think the answer is universal. Because no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, and we're all in a different place. Some of us have been a Christ follower for years. Some of us are brand new to the faith. Some of us are just kicking the tires and checking things out. We're not sure if we're really down with the whole Jesus thing yet. We're all in a different place. But I think the answer for all of us in terms of what to do and how do we, how do we put this knowledge into practice it really comes down to this. Receive your full inheritance. Receive your full inheritance. If you are a longtime Christ follower, or maybe new to the faith, to receive your full inheritance means you act like it. Live like you are a child of God himself, because you are. You are a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and nothing can take that away from you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So receive every bit of that. Don't, don't be like the older brother and, and, and like not act like it. The song we sang earlier, it's biblical. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So that means when we go to work or maybe you go to school tomorrow or, or maybe when you go back to school after the you know, nine-day weekend that everybody's on right now. <laughs> you look like, you act like, you talk like a child of God. You're receiving your full inheritance. If you're not a Christ follower, you have not chosen to step over that line of faith and trust God more than you trust yourself, then for you, it's just choosing to make that decision. It's beginning to journey with God. It's, it's choosing to step into and to receive your full inheritance. This is what the book of Romans Chapter number eight says that in Christ, we have not received a spirit that makes us fearful slaves. That's, that's the older brother. He used the word slave. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That word Abba in the original language that Jesus would have spoken, Aramaic, it, it, is the, it is the term of affection for a dad. Maybe in your context, you grew up in, in your dad's daddy. For me, it was just, just dad. But that's my dad. I trust him. I love him. He protects me. He provides for me. Dad. Abba. It's actually the same word that Jesus used when he cried out to his heavenly father from the cross. Abba. 
Father. You know, you've seen those really prim and proper, very staid families on TV. Hello, Father. Hello, son. Hello. That's not this. This is dad. Daddy. And he comes running. <laughs> he comes running, coattails flying. The second you turn for home, that's how much he loves you. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? If that's you, and God is leading you to, to take that step for the first time and, and to nail it down, no doubt about it, then we wanna invite you to pray just right where you are, talk to God silently and say something like this. Just silently say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender my life to you because I'm choosing to trust you more than I trust myself. I confess my sin. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again for me. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I pray this prayer in your name. you would just remain with your heads bowed for another moment. But for those of you who prayed that prayer and you meant it, this is the biggest moment of your life. This is the moment that thrills the heart of the Father. And so as a church, man, it's, it's a big deal to us. And we want to help with the moments that follow. If you would, we would ask that you would just do us the favor of letting us know that that just happened in your life. If you're online, there's a place to indicate I recently committed my life to Christ. If you're in the room, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. It's got a QR code on it. You can use that QR code or you can fill it out and hand it to one of our ushers or someone at the hub on your way out underneath the big front porch. But that just begins a dialogue, a dialogue that proceeds at whatever pace works for you. Again, because we just want to help. Also, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer for the first time and you meant it, would you just raise your hand, just quietly, but unmistakably, just raise your hand up high over your head for a second as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And know that as a church, we celebrate that with you. And our family tradition around here is that if you would go ahead and put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.